0: This week, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 5. And this is our first time together reaching a full genealogy chapter. And I'll be honest, these aren't my favorite chapters in the Bible, right? I don't know how many of you guys, when you're going through a real rough time, someone's like, man, just go home and read Genesis 5. It'll really work on your heart seeing how many different guys lived hundreds of years and had more kids and then lived hundreds of years. But it's important to read through God's Word. From cover to cover. It's so important that we do that. And we know that God's word is inspired by God. We know that all of God's word is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 through 17 tell us. And just like you hope your doctor is well-versed in all of medicine, and I'm like, oh, that one thing you have, yeah, I skipped that chapter in school. I didn't study that. But let's see what's going to happen, right? You don't want a doctor like that. It should be the same for us and the Word of God, that we're reading it from cover to cover, not just eternally in Psalms and Proverbs or eternally just in the New Testament or just in the Old Testament or just in the Song of Solomon or anything like that, right? That you're reading it from cover to cover, and you're just going through God's Word and allowing God's Word to go through you. So a couple things that we're going to look at here. Hopefully you stay on track and don't just go to sleep right away. Uh, But one thing that we'll see is we will see a phrase, and he died, appear eight times in this chapter. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, right? And the important thing for us to be reminded of (laughs) <laughs> we're all going to die we're all going to die or we're going to be raptured those are the two options out of this life that we will all die or we will be raptured and does this reality truly move us does it do any work within us that one day this life and this reality will end and then what that is the age old question after this life what happens nothing happens heaven happens Purgatory happens, I turn into a different animal or a different relative. What happens? We know that by God's word there's heaven and there's hell, and that's it. That's A or B. And where are we going to live for eternity? When you have the reality that one day this life is done and only what we do for Christ will last, it should remind us, man, what life am I living? And what type of legacy am I leaving? I think that's a lot easier for of people advance in their years and more mature to really be thinking, man, what kind of a legacy am I going to leave for my kids and my grandkids? Sometimes when we're right out of high school, we think of our legacy because we feel like we have so much power to move in this world and do mighty things for this world. But are we thinking about our legacy? What will people remember me as? What kind of a character will they think of me, right? Will they think of me as a true person that has done things for God and for other people? Or will they just look at me like anybody else that just wasted their life away? What type of legacy am I going to leave? Another thing we can look at is that there's two different genealogies here. At the end of chapter 4, we saw the genealogy of Cain. Right, Cain and Abel, Cain murders his brother. And then we see his genealogy, which is filled with sin and murder polygamy pride and anger and vengeance and apart from jesus christ this is the lineage that each and every one of us are a part of we're filled with sin we're filled with lying with anger with pride we're filled with a lack of an ability to truly commit to someone and to truly love someone but now within this genealogy we see that all these men are linked to jesus All these men are linked to the Messiah that will come and give us a way to not be destined to hell for all of eternity, who has come to save us from our sins by dying in our place for our debt, giving us a way again to be forgiven for our sins, giving us a way to have entrance and admittance into heaven, giving us a way to have a relationship with the God and creator of this earth. If we would only believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that he is truly our Lord. And then finally we'll look at the life of Enoch. And a sweet little message hidden in here that God has placed within the names of these different men. So we'll read through it. We'll stop a couple times to look at a a certain guy and his name, what it means. And then we'll really park at Enoch and look at his life. But we'll begin in verse 1, and it tells us this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. And He created them male and female. And He blessed them, and He named them man in the day when they were created. So if we remember from chapter 1 and 2, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they say, let us make man in our image. They make Adam and then they make Eve out of Adam's rib in their own image, in their own perfect triune image, they make Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve, they sin and the fall happens. So now every time a baby's born after that, we're no longer made in the pure unadulterated image of God, but now we're made in an image of a sinful man. And every baby that's born into this planet, is a sinful little man or a sinful little woman right every single baby that's the way they are that's why they cry even though you're tired and exhausted after a long day of work that's why they cry when they don't even know why they're crying right you give them all the things they want and they still want to cry it's because they're little sinners they're little sinners just like we're a little bit bigger sinners right each and every one of us Verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and he named him Seth. Then the days of Adam and after he became the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters, so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So Adam's name, it means man. Adam's name it means man you can write that down if you're a note taker and it's also important that in verse 4 it tells us that he had other sons and daughters so this isn't the full account if you're looking for a full-out family tree here that's not what we're going to get we're going to get the lineage that leads us to Jesus Christ so each son that leads us to the lineage of Jesus Christ himself the one that was going to come and crush the serpent's head and the venom And why we're here today. Verse 6. Seth lived 105 years and he became the father of Enosh. And then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years. And he died. And Seth's name, it means appointed. Appointed. We go to verse 9 through 11. And it tells us Enosh lived 90 years. And he became the father of Kenan. And then Enosh lived 850 years after he became the father of Kenan. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years. And he died. And Enosh means mortal. Mortal. I think that's probably why we don't see that name that often anymore. Uh, Enosh, it means mortal. Verse 12. Kenan lived 70 years. And he became the father of Mahalel. And then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahal. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years. And he died. And Kenan, it means sorrow. Sorrow. That's what Kenan's name means. Now we'll read verse 15 through 23. And we'll catch up on the names and begin the life of Enoch. It tells us Mahal lived 65 years. And he became the father of Jared. And then Mahalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared. And he had other sons and other daughters. So all the days of Mahalel were 895 years. And he died. And Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. And then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch. And he had other sons and daughters And so all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And Enoch lived 65 years, and he became the father of Methuselah. And then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. So Mahalel, that name means the blessed God. So if you're looking for any baby names, that's a great one there, the blessed God. And then Jared means to descend, to descend. So we've caught up Enoch, his name, it means teaching. And finally, Methuselah means his death shall bring, his death shall bring. So it's good, everybody's still awake. And now we look at the life of Enoch. What we see is that he lived 65 years and then he became the father of Methuselah. And with the name meaning, his death shall bring, many Bible scholars believe and through adding up, if you're great at math, you'll see that Methuselah's life, his name meant once he passes away, judgment would come. That once Methuselah passed away, the flood would come and destroy and annihilate almost every single thing on this planet. Except for Noah and his family and all the animals he could fit in that massive 300-yard boat of his that God had called him to build. And perhaps it was becoming a father that caused Enoch to look at his life and say, man, there must be more to life than just this. And now he looks at God and he walks with him. Perhaps it's receiving the prophecy from God himself that, hey, after your son passes away, massive judgment is coming. Listening to Bible scholars, it's kind of true, right? Methuselah, that's the kid that You keep the helmet on him. You wrap him in bubble wrap. You want nothing happening to Methuselah. Hey, dad, can I get a bike? No, man, just go back in your room and play some video games. Just stay in there. Don't move, right? That the moment this child, this man passes away, God's judgment will come forth. And Enoch begins to walk with God. And he even comes to the point where now he's a prophet. He's a mouthpiece for God because of the way we're going to see that he's walking with God 300 years right some of us think when I get when I'm 20 years old I'll start walking with God or when I'm 65 years old like Enoch I'll start walking with God or when I'm 30 or 40 when I get older I'll start walking with God and he was willing to put 300 years of his life to walk and spend time with God In Jude chapter 1, verse 14, it tells us now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. See, we have Enoch who's seven generations in from the beginning of man, and yet he's able to see that one day Jesus is coming. That one day Jesus is coming with all his saints to judge and rule over the angels and over this entire planet. And family, does that reign true in our hearts? Are we thinking about that? Are we thinking about the rapture? Are we thinking that this life is one day going to come to an end? And then I'm going to live my real life, right? Then we're going to live our real lives that this is just a drop in the bucket. This is just a second out of our day. And how will we live our true lives, our lives in all of eternity? In Genesis 5 verse 24, it tells us Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. The word walk here, it's not like, hey, let me walk a block with you and then call an Uber or anything like that. It's not, hey, let me walk one block with you and have somebody else pick me up. It's a constant and familiar relationship. So Enoch had a constant and familiar relationship with God for 300 years. And then it says, and he was not, for God took him. And I was really trying to chew on this. I was really trying to meditate on this. What does it mean to walk with God? What does that look like? I was thinking about our own lives. You know, if you have a, if you have a teacher or maybe you have a, a doctor, you know, I don't know how many of you, after your doctor's visit, you say, hey, doc, you want to go out for a walk after this? It right? would be kind of weird, a little awkward, right? Yeah, I don't th- I'm a little busy, man. I got a couple of things going on. Or maybe you have a financial advisor, and after they've given you some great advice, say, hey, you want to go out for a walk? And again, everybody's looking at you like you're a creeper, right? What are you doing, man, asking everybody to go out for walks? And maybe it's even a long-distance relative, someone that you see once a year, once every two years, and, man, Theo Harry wants to go on a long walk with you. You say, man, I don't know you that well, Theo. I'm not going on a walk with you, right? I just see you on Thanksgiving, and that's about it. But who are the people that we go and just walk with, right? Usually it's when you are beginning to get romantic with somebody. You say, hey, let's go out for a walk, right? And you don't care how long it takes because you just want to spend time with them. And looking at my own life, the people that I'll take long walks with, it's my wife, it's my kids, it's the people that I hold dearest and nearest to me. And it really convicted me because how do we treat God? See, more often than not, I think we treat God as like a financial advisor, right? Lord, what do I do with my money? What's the best job move for me to make? Where should I go? Or, Lord, Lord, you need to heal my family. You need to heal my kids. You need to do a miracle here. God, what do you want from my future? what's my plan right he's sort of like our college advisor it's a flip of a coin if they're going to be good or bad Um, but this is the way we go to God more often than not as this genie that we're asking to solve all of our problems it's as if we treat God that his only purpose for being or existing is to make my life comfortable and to make my life easy but that's not who God is right He's the creator of heaven and earth. He does whatever he well pleases. And whatever reason, he decided for us to all be here, still alive, still awake, so that we can hear what God has for us this morning. So, family, are we truly walking with God? Are we walking with him without any strings attached? I don't know if anybody likes living life with strings attached, right? Hey, you want to have a relationship with me? But... You gotta pay for my dinner every night. Like, whoa, what are you talking about? Right? Yeah, I want to let's do this business deal, but you gotta give me 75% of your company. Whoa, I don't know if I'm down with that. But do we have truly just a gratitude to God for all that He's done for us? That He's forgiven us of our sins, that He's paid for our sins, that He has loved us with a love that no one else can love us with, and because we love Him so much, we're so grateful for all that He's done, we can't help but to want to walk with Him. We can't help but to want to spend time with him. Not with a timer set, not with looking at our calendar or agenda, but just saying, hey, God, let's just go for a walk. Let's just spend some time this morning, and Lord, will you speak to me? Not answering me any specific things, but Lord, what's on your heart? Lord, what's burning on your heart? What's breaking your heart? And just communicating with God, having this constant and familiar relationship with God. I was reminded of Amos 3.3. It tells us, can two men walk together unless they agree? Can two men walk together unless they agree? And you can't go walking with someone you say, hey, we're going to go north. And they go, no, 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 I'm going south. Right? I was walking. We were out of town and we were walking all over Philadelphia. And we would keep going on the side of the street that had the shade. Right? We'd keep moving to the side that had the shade so that we wouldn't be melting or getting extra sweaty for no reason. Um, But we can't walk together unless we were all in agreement. Hey, let's get to the side that has more shape. And it's true with us and God that the only way we can walk with him, the only way we can have this constant and familiar relationship with God is when we agree with him. And how do we agree with him? Very few people actually hear the voice of God. People hear lots of voices, but it's not usually the voice of God. We hear from God through his word, through his word. So do we agree with this? Do we agree with this cover to cover? And do we really believe it? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And the author of Hebrews, he's going to look more into the life of Enoch. Hebrews chapter 11. And in verse 5, we will begin reading. It tells us, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Family, are we pleasing to God? Does God look at us and say, man, this is my son in whom I am well pleased? This is my daughter, and I am pleased at the way she's living. I'm pleased at the way they're raising their kids. I'm pleased at the way they work in their job. I'm pleased at the music they listen to, the movies they watch. I am pleased with their life. The difficult thing here is the only way to please God is, is when we have faith in Him. When we have faith in God and when we have faith in His Word. Right? We just read that in verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot please God unless we have faith. Right? No one has seen God face to face. No one has really sat down and had a full-out conversation with God. So how can you please someone if you've never seen them? How can you trust someone if you've never seen them? It takes faith. And what is our faith in? Our faith is not in His promises. Our faith is in the character of God. Our faith is that God is love, that God is never changing, that His yes is yes, His no is no, that He will never leave us and forsake us. That is where our faith is in. And it's going to be tested through tough and difficult seasons in life, right? It says that we must believe that He is, that God exists, and then we must truly believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And it's so important to have that word diligently there. Because we try things from time to time, right? We go to the gym one time and we go look in the mirror and we say, What has changed? Nothing has changed. Man, I'm giving up on this, right? Right? This doesn't work out, this is worth nothing, right? I'm gonna go on a diet, and you eat one salad, you feel all the pain, you look in the mirror, nothing has changed, right? Forget this, I'm done with this. And many times this is how we go to God. We say, Okay, God, I'm gonna seek you today. I'm going to do what Zach said, I'm going to set aside my time, I'm going to go walking, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to go walking with my Bible, but I need to hear from you today. And then sometimes we don't hear from him the first day, so we say, forget this, I'm going to go back to my friends, or my drugs, or my music, my sex, my job, my family, and we begin trying to fulfill ourselves with other things. There's no faith there. In Jeremiah chapter 29, very famous scripture, verse 11. But in verse 13, it tells us, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me and you, when you search for me with all your heart. We need to come to God with all that we have. They ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to pull a fast one on him with all their riddles. And Jesus says, hey, the first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And then the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we need to love God with all that we have. You need to love him with all that you have. You need to be unwilling to sin. You need to be unwilling to want to lie to him or steal from him or cheat him. We're reminded that God, He is a jealous God. And a lot of people, oh, jealousy is sin. But hopefully in every marriage, there's a little bit of jealousy there. That if the husband says, Hey, honey, I'm going to go just hang out at the bar for a couple hours with all my girlfriends. You're good with that? No, right? Because there's a jealousy. There's a godly jealousy there. But yet, how often do I do that with the Lord? That Lord, hey, I'll be right back. I'm going to go hang out with all my worldly friends doing sinful things. But you're good with it, right, God? Because you're all merciful, you're all gracious, you're all forgiving. God, give me a break here. I'm going to do a couple of things that are sinful according to your Bible. You died for them. You went through pain and agony for them. But you're good with it, right? You're fine with it. We must truly believe these things. And it's not just faith saying it. It's faith living it out and doing it. The wise man is not just a man that knows God's word. The wise man is the one that goes out and does God's word. In Psalm 78, you can write this one down, verse 21 through 22. It's a picture of the people of Israel once they get out of Egypt and all that God had done for them. And it says, Therefore the Lord was full of wrath, and a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also mounted against Israel, because they did not believe in God, and they did not trust in His salvation. They did not believe in God, and they did not trust in His salvation. And family, how many incredible things has God done for us? How many answered prayers? How many times has He spoken to us at a retreat or at a conference or in a teaching, and yet we're faced with the next difficulty in life? And we say, He's not going to do it. He's not going to come through. I don't believe Him anymore. And it bothers God, right? Does anybody enjoy being questioned? Does anybody, I love it when people question me, right? I know a lot of guys, they struggle with the wife saying, hey, where are you, right? I'm on my way home. No, 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 but where are you exactly, right? Just leave me alone, right? Or parents, right, you love it when your kids are like, hey, what are we doing today? What are we eating today? What are we smelling today, right? What are we, this question after question. It's not fun, it's not enjoyable, but we know our God, he's a perfect father, but yet we question him a whole lot. And what's the basis of that question? It's, it's our pride thinking we deserve better. It's, that's simply it. Our pride thinks, hey, I deserve better. God doesn't understand. God doesn't realize this is what I deserve. This is what I deserve. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know all that I've done? And our faith in God's character, it needs to go hand in hand with our willingness to be obedient to his commandments found in God's word. Found in his Bible that when we truly believe him and trust him, we're gonna do the things that he says. Right? Just like when you if you think your doctor's out to get you, and he says, Hey, take this medicine, what do you do? Right? Throw that thing in the garbage. This guy's trying to kill me, right? But when you think your doctor has the best interest in mind for you, you say, Man, doc, this stuff looks pretty weird. You sure you want me to eat this? Doc, this is really expensive. You sure you want me to buy this? Doc, this stuff tastes gross. Are you sure you want me to eat this? But when you believe they truly have your best interests in mind, you trust them and you believe them. And has God not proven that he loves us and that he cares for us? Has he not forgiven us of all of our sins? Has he not gone out and paid for the debt that we couldn't ever pay? And yet I question him. Yet I say, Lord, this isn't fair. What is going on here? And to be well-pleasing to God, to walk with God, it's not easy. Nowhere in God's word does it say that. Nowhere in God's word does it say that. We just got back from a pastor's conference and one of the pastors was talking about how Paul says that all that he did was for the furtherance of the gospel, right? The furtherance of the gospel. How many of you want to see the gospel going for, forth and more forward in our, in our city and our family, right? All of us will raise our hand. We want to see the gospel go out everywhere. But that word furtherance, what it's talking about, I don't know how many of you guys are into uh, blacksmithing. Every once in a while I watch Forged and Fire. My wife laughs at me. But what that word furtherance means is when you get a piece of metal and you stick it in a kiln, you stick it in that fiery furnace and you let it heat up to 100 degrees, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, it's getting to thousands of degrees. And then you pull that piece of metal out and you put it on the anvil and then you begin just smacking that thing and bruising it and hitting it and hitting it. And as that piece of metal grows, it's being furthered. That's the furtherance of the gospel, that the only way we can further the gospel is going through trials, is going through pain, and it's still believing and trusting in God. That's the way the gospel goes out in our life. It's not when a difficulty comes and we say, God, I'm out of here, I'm done with this, I'm never going to church again, because then everyone sees there's no faith. There's no belief in it. You don't believe it anymore. And we look at Jesus. We look at Paul, right? Who's the poster child of Christianity? Jesus, right? And what does he go through? Everything, right? He has no home. He has no place to sleep. He doesn't have a job. He has no money. All his friends leave him and forsake him. And this is who we're supposed to be. This is how we're supposed to live. And Christ is able to say, Lord, is there any way for this cup to pass from me? But not my will, yours be done. And this is truly walking with God that you're saying, Lord, I don't understand this. God, this is so hard, but I love you and I'm going to trust you through it. I'm going to be obedient to your word. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Are we obeying God's commands? In John 14, 15, Jesus tells us, If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now let's turn to 1 John chapter 1. There's a beautiful reality that if we are walking with God, then we're going to be pleasing to God. And when we're pleasing and we have faith and trust in Him, we're going to be willing to be obedient to His commands and now when we are obedient to God's commands, we will walk in light. We will walk in light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Family, are we walking in the light? Is every aspect of our life in the light? That we're at peace with it. We're at peace with our boss walking in. We're at peace with our husband or wife walking in. We're cool with our pastor walking in. We don't need to freak out and pull the curtain and hide things. We're fine with anybody looking through our phone, looking through our computer. Hey, you can look at every aspect of my life because I am walking in the light. There's a certain peace that comes when we are truly walking in the light. And you can't buy that anywhere, man. You cannot buy the peace that God brings us when you have that walk and relationship with Him. And you know, man, I'm walking with God. And it's tough, and it's difficult, but at least I'm in line with God. At least I'm with Him. If you've ever had that best friend, if you've ever had that soldier next to you, or that spouse that you're going through the roughest season in life, but you're able to look at that one person and you say, man, at least I got you. At least I got you, and I know I'll be able to go through these things. Family, we need to be walking in the light. If we're not walking in the light, then we're not pleasing to God. And if we're not pleasing to God, we're not walking with Him. We don't have faith and trust in Him. We don't believe that God's Word says, sin will kill me. That sin will hurt me. It will hurt my family. It will hurt my friends. So now I'm playing with it and I'm messing with it. And the only way we taste of this peace is when we are truly walking with Him. When we walk with Him. And there's that age-old question, hey, where do we find true fulfillment in life? And everybody usually says, doing whatever you were put on this planet to do, whether it was to be a dancer, right, or a musician, to be a teacher or a parent. I am fulfilling my life's calling and being an Uber driver, right? Whatever your calling in life is. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, in the King James Version, it reads, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou has created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and they were created. God has created all things, and he is worthy, and he created all things for his pleasure. That's why they were created. That's why they are created. Guys, that's why we're on this planet. It's to be... Pleasing to God. It's to have God look at us and say, man, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. My daughter in whom I am well pleased. It's been said that each of us, every human on this planet, we have a specific hole in our heart. If you've ever seen little two-year-olds play with those toys, right? You have the cross, you have the heart, you have the circle, the square, the triangle. Sometimes you can fit the triangle on the square, right? And uh, they have that little toy. But each of us, we have a cross-shaped heart on our chest and in our heart. And sometimes we try stuffing that with different things. We try stuffing it with different friends or different relationships. We try stuffing it with money or with having kids. We try stuffing it with drugs or alcohol or pleasure. But we will always be thirsty because there's only one thing that can fill that hole. There's only one thing that will satisfy mankind, and it's having this relationship and walk with God. And if you're here and you're not satisfied in life, that's the first thing to look at. Are you satisfied in your relationship with God? Are you truly there? That you say, man, without a shadow of a doubt, I'm good with God. I am so happy at where I'm at. I wish I could grow a little more, but I'm I'm happy. I'm pleased at where I'm at with the Lord. I'm at peace with where I'm at with God. Family, are we there? There is the reality as we've been looking at. All these men die. Every single one of these men die except for Enoch, right? he's called God pulls him up but each of them are faced with death and if death was tonight would you have to do any shuffling right if the rapture was coming right now would there be any fear would there be hey God let's, let's put this on pause let's wait about five years or five days or five minutes I gotta get a couple of things right or are we truly ready for our Lord to come are we truly, truly saying Lord come quickly Jesus would you come today would you come right now not because our life is hard, but because we love him so much. Listening to Joe Fos is just funny. He's saying, there, there, there are going to be those godly believers, that fiancé, those fiancés that they've been pure, they've been ready, they've been waiting for the Lord, they get married, and on the way to their honeymoon, the rapture comes, right? That's the reality, but it's still going to be worth it. It's still going to be worth it. There's going to be that guy in school for eight years, about to get his doctorate, about to be a doctor, and the rapture comes. And then, whoa, what happened, right? But it's all going to be worth it. Are we ready for the rapture? Are we saying, Lord, this planet has nothing on you it has nothing on heaven I just want to spend time with you and if that is truly a burden in our heart then we will be concerned with our legacy we'll be concerned with the way we walk we'll be concerned if I'm walking in the light or not we'll be concerned am I truly loving God do I truly care for him or am I looking at him as that genie as that doctor as that psychologist or that psychiatrist or am I looking at him as the God creator of heaven and earth that I have no business speaking to or spending time with, right? I have no business being able to talk with God and spend time with Him. And yet, every morning, every night, every moment, He's ready and willing to spend time with me and to talk with me and hang out with me. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 5. We'll continue. And the beautiful picture of the life of Enoch before Methuselah and before judgment is that he's taken up the Lord brings him up again another picture of the Lord the rapture happening before judgment comes on this earth right same picture with Noah and the flood the Lord takes him protects him and his family and he carries him through the trial through the tribulation the same is true for us as believers we need to be ready Jesus is coming at any moment guys chapter 5, verse 25, book of Genesis, it tells us Methuselah lived 187 years, and he became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech, and he had other sons and daughters, and so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Another amazing picture here is Methuselah is the oldest person we see in the Bible or really ever recorded in history. And we know that his name meant, right, when he dies, something's coming. What was the prophecy? When he dies, judgment was going to come. The flood was going to come. And yet God has Methuselah live not five years or 100 years or 200 years. He lets him live 969 years, guys. The grace of God. The unmerited grace of God. He was sick and tired of mankind. Next week we'll look at the corruption of mankind. How messed up they had become within eight, nine generations. And yet how God is still willing to be gracious and merciful and long-suffering when it comes to mankind. And how we have completely messed things up. Verse 28. It tells us Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. And now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. And then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. That word Lamech, it means the afflicted. I think that's why we don't see too many Lamechs running around. It means the afflicted. And Noah means comfort. Noah means comfort. And the beautiful thing here, again, don't don't be looking into the Illuminati or counting words or counting letters, trying to find some crazy code within the Bible. But here the Lord, He leaves us a beautiful picture here. We have Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. And all their names link up to mean man appointed mortal sorrow and the blessed God to descend teaching that his death shall bring the afflicted comfort. And therein lies the gospel, man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God is to descend teaching that his death shall bring the afflicted comfort. And family, do we believe this? Are we truly living this? Does our legacy show that this is what we believe, that this is what we live in? Every once in a while, there's a Dyson commercial, and the guy talks about how he spent seven years perfecting a vacuum. I was saying, man, seven years on a vacuum. That's that's a rough life. I mean, now he's probably like a billionaire, so it's all good. But, man, what is our legacy going to be? That we spent years on a vacuum, we spent years on vacation, or is our legacy going to be that I lived my life out for Christ? I have no regrets. I lived trying to be as well-pleasing as I could to show him how thankful and grateful I am for him. I don't, it's not going to make me any more holy. It's not going to make me any more saved. But I just want to show him how thankful I am for all that he's done. We're made to be well-pleasing. It doesn't make sense. We haven't helped anything out on this planet. We continue to mess things up. You look at Adam and Eve, they mess things up right away. And it's similar to having kids. There's never a season in life where it's the right time to have kids, right? It's not a great financial decision. It's not a great decision when it comes to having more free time. It's not a great decision when it comes to having your car clean or your walls the same color that you painted them. It's not a great decision and being able to go on more vacations. It's not a great decision for anything than what? Than being able to raise someone that has the free will to decide to love you or not love you. And it's the same thing with our God. He has made us and he has given us so much that now he says, hey, will you love me? Do you love me more than these, right? As he asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And there's several things that do you love me more than your spouse or that future spouse that you want? Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than that circle of friends? Do you love me more than your kids? Do you love me more than these things? And that we have to look in the mirror and say, man, are are there things that I love more than God? Because that becomes an idol and we know it's not good to have any idol before the Lord. So family, may we be living in this reality that we're living at a place that today we can come and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been a sinner. I've been two timing you, God. I've been wanting your blessings, but I've been living in sin. And yeah, I'm shaking my fist at you saying, why haven't you blessed me? We can come today, seek that forgiveness, and He will forgive you. He will love you. He will care for you. And then by the filling of the Holy Spirit, He can give you the power to be well-pleasing. That's the mind-blowing thing of God. He asks us, hey, will you be well-pleasing? But hey, let me give you all the power to be able to be well-pleasing. He's willing to do it. We just need to live according to His Word. We just need to truly have the faith to believe Him and do what the Bible says. Even when it hurts. Even when it's hard even when it's difficult. Man, just truly be praying. Sit there and think, man, am I ready for the rapture today? What type of a legacy am I living? Will my kids come more to Jesus because of the way I live? Not how I talk or if I brought them to church, but because of the way I'm living, my kids will want to follow Jesus. Because of the way I act, my coworkers, my friends, the people I run into at the gas station, they will want to follow Jesus because of the way that I live. As the rapture is coming at any moment, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow, let's live in a way that's worthy and well-pleasing.